Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 8, Episode 25. In the last episode, I began the history of Astarte, a Canaanite goddess mentioned in Judges as one of the foreign deities the Israelites strayed towards. In that episode, I covered what's known about her primarily in relation to the Canaanite pantheon. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm picking up with how she's viewed outside of the limited Canaanite region. And with that, let's get started. In Egypt, Astarte has been somewhat rarely, but still widely found. What makes this more interesting is that the uncovered Egyptian artifacts are, at least so far, are the only Bronze Age pictorial representations identified as Astarte, at least those with a reasonably high level of certainty. What makes this of particular interest is that she originated outside of the region and is more widely found in the literature of Ugarit, Imar, or other Syrian cities. But then again, archaeological evidence from Egypt, as a whole, seems to have been better preserved. Not terribly surprising considering the volume of artifacts that have been discovered in the ancient Lower Nile region. The concept of Astarte likely arrived in ancient Egypt during the 18th dynasty. This was the same time that other deities worshipped by Northwest Semitic people showed up, placing it around the 16th century BC. And while the Israelites were in Egypt, about 300 years before the commonly accepted date of the Exodus. More on that in a minute. And she wasn't alone, with other regional deities arriving in Egypt, including Anat, Baal, Horan, Reshef, and the mysterious Kudshu. Should any of these get a mention in the biblical text, I'll cover them at that point. In Egypt, Baal was often fused with Set, the Egyptian god of war, chaos, and storms. Not so with Astarte. In the last episode, I mentioned how Astarte was often paired with Anat, another Semitic deity. This may have been due to her commonly being considered a warrior goddess. Both of those aspects of her cult seem true within Egypt. There, she was associated with warfare, and especially with horses and chariots. Same as in Canaan. What's more surprising to me is that due to the late arrival of these animals in Egypt, they weren't associated with any native deity prior to her introduction. Though in Egypt, Egyptian sources considered Astarte to be a daughter of the Memphite head god Ptah, or of the sun god Ra, either of which would place her extremely high in their pantheon. Also, the somewhat precise and known timing of her arrival likely made her known to the Israelites who were living in Egypt at the time, pre-Exodus and all. Whether or not they knew of her before Jacob and family moved southwestward to Egypt is a matter of debate. Within Egyptian mythology, and in a contest between Horus and Set, Astarte and Anat appear as daughters of Ra, and are given by him as allies to the god Set, a possible reflection of their association with Baal. Some researchers perceive them as Set's wives as well. 
What this may indicate is that the Egyptians were unaware of Astarte being the Canaanite deity Baal's wife. Though, keep in mind, when one culture adopts members of another's pantheon, they may not adopt all of the concept, just what fits. After all, why would the Egyptians even consider bringing Baal in when they have their own high-ranking persona, Ra, or Set? Your choice. Also in Egypt, a document that's become known as the Astarte Papyrus records a myth similar to the Yelm section of the Ugaritic Baal cycle that I mentioned last week. This story is in Egyptian mythology, where she was presented in a similar story, but instead of Baal, there was Set, of course. In this case, Set portrayed the hero fighting the sea on behalf of the rest of the pantheon. What makes this even more interesting is that this story was actually uncovered earlier than the story in Canaan. But that doesn't mean it was written earlier, and is simply likely due to the volumes of research that flowed from Egypt to Europe in far greater quantities and much earlier than it did from Syria, Canaan, and the region taken over by the Israelite tribes. This story was probably first seen by the Western world in 1871, though it really didn't receive any attention until 1932, and only after the uncovering of Ugaritic literature in Rosh Shamra. What's unfortunate is that the entirety of the Egyptian myth has not yet been discovered. Instead, the description of the battle itself isn't fully preserved, but references to it are scattered throughout other Egyptian texts, such as the Hearst Papyrus, In what remains of the papyrus fragments from the epic, Astarte appears as the most prominent figure, bringing tribute to the menacing sea god to temporarily placate him. In this, he's identified as Yam, just as he is in Ugaritic text. That's right, the enemy has the same name in both Egypt and Ugarit, further indicating the story. While first discovered in Egypt, likely originated in Canaan. In the story, her father Ptah and Renanutet, a harvest goddess, convince her to act as a tribute-bearer. The text characterizes her as a violent warrior goddess, similar to the way she's presented in other Egyptian sources. Her role resembles that played by Shalska in a number of Hurrian myths about combat with the sea likely showing connections to that pantheon as well. And that's one aspect of polytheism that's not frequently discussed. When you hold little to no allegiances to lower status gods, adopting this one or that from your neighbor is not only not a big deal, but instead is extremely common. And that's it for how she was viewed in ancient Egypt. Astarte was also found in the Phoenician mythology. There, she's described as the daughter of the earth and the sky, or at least the deities that represent those concepts. She had a brother, Elus, who overthrew, then banished their father. But before Dad was thrown out, he sent his daughters, which included Astarte and Asherah, all of them Elus' sisters. He sent them to Elus where all three sisters became his wives. Astarte would bear his children. When the Greeks recorded this myth, 
they would assign names to the kids, most of which I'll spare you, as they're not that relevant, except for errors. Later, with Eluz's consent, Astarte and Adado, their deity for storms and rain, would reign over the land together. In regional depictions, Astarte would wear the head of a bull on her own head to symbolize her sovereignty. She would also wander through the world, taking up a star that had fallen from the sky, probably a meteorite, and consecrate it at Tyre. Modern 20th century scholars note that some elements from this account resemble the much earlier Baal cycle from Ugarit, along with the Hurrian Kumarbi cycle. In both of these, there are successive generations of gods with the weather god emerging as the final supreme ruler. Why did this weather god win out? With the rise of agriculture, weather mattered greatly. It's been pointed out that her most common symbol was a crescent moon, sometimes worn as a headdress, and when worn in that matter, it would resemble horns, like the bull. This overlapped with another common association of deities in the region, an association with bull horns. Some propose that the somewhat more recent figure of a horned devil may stem from this beginning. Maybe. Like so many of the less evidence theories around ancient history and beliefs, the identification of Astarte with the moon may be of a later source drawing spurious conclusions. Overall, researchers of ancient Canaanite and Syrian religions are a long way from certain if Astarte ever had a star-based characterization for herself. And if she did, others have proposed that her celestial symbol was Venus, not the lunar crescent. Along with this proposal, there's also the theory that her worship did not last as long as others think, perhaps not even lasting to the turn of B.C. to A.D., at least in Sidon. Parallel to this, there is a proposal that Astarte, at least as she was viewed in Sidon, was comparable to the later Greek goddess Selene, their goddess of the moon. Finally, in Sidon, there are uncovered small terracotta votives that some researchers identify with Astarte. Though, overall, it's unclear if these figures depict any goddess at all. Lucian, a 2nd century AD Greek writer, maintained that in the territory of Sidon, the temple of Astarte was sacred to Europa. In Greek mythology, Europa was a Phoenician princess whom Zeus, having transformed himself into a white bull, he abducted and carried Europa to Crete. And that's it for how Astarte is presented in Sidon and Phoenicia. But I still need to address how she was viewed in their far-flung outpost. Astarte was brought to Hispania, the region that would much later become Spain. Her worship there was imported by Phoenician merchants sometime around the 8th century BC. After her importation, she became possibly the most iconic goddess in the Iberian pantheon, being assimilated to native deities who held similar attributes. From there, are possibly brought at the same time. Anyway, her worship extended along the Mediterranean coast 
where she had important centers throughout the eastern peninsula. The Mount of Venus, mentioned in sources as a military emplacement by a Lusitanian chieftain located behind the northern shore of Taha, has also been considered to be a possible sanctuary of Astarte. Possible, but not definite. Her worship was reinforced by the Carthaginian occupation that kick-started the Second Punic War, bringing along the cult of an equivalent goddess, Tanit. In their literature, the names of Astarte and Tanit were frequently interchanged, further indicating the mixing of cultures with a flexibility strictly limited to polytheism. This interchangeability of the names continued unabated into the Roman imperial period under the assimilated name, though it would be folded into a different name and given similar attributes to their deities Juno, Diana, and Minerva. There are other potential associations for Astarte. The Hurrians imported a goddess named Pinikur into Anatolia and from Elam. It's also possible all of these were intermingled with the goddess Ishtar. In addition, Alit and Astarte may have been conflated with Palmyra in what's today northeast Syria. All of this further pointing to the merger, combination, and fluidity of those religions and cultures. There is much more to Astarte, but honestly, I'm well past the saturation point and need to get back to the history of the other people, places, and things found in Judges. Just know, and this is congruent with the big takeaway from the last episode, the Israelites continued to stray from God, and one of the first directions they went was towards Astarte and Baal, as seen in Judges 2. The Baal part is perhaps easier to understand, He had been the primary Canaanite deity for some time. But Astarte was just beginning and would spread and last for over a millennium, perhaps longer. Which provides me with a good stopping point for this week's episode. Join me next week when I'll pick up in Judges 2. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes or wherever you get the podcast from. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, If you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening and have a great week.